What up? What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the This Is Not That podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joanna, and I'm here with the homies. Say what's up, y'all. What's good? It's Isaiah. Thank you, everybody. Um, so, how y'all doing? <laughs> I just asked if you want the real or the fake. You know, I can give you the, the fake. You know, I'm doing doing great. You know, every day Do is. Give us the real, Ralphie. Bring the real. Bring it. Tell us. You know, if it was on a scale of one to a ten, I'm probably out of five. You know, I'm not feeling mm-hmm. well. You know, and uh, you know, it's a lot of shit that's going on in our current politics that's pissing me off too. So it hasn't been a a good last two weeks for movement folks. So I'm not in the best mood, to be honest with you. On top of that, we just had the freeze over and the snow squall and just had to survive all that weather. Yeah, when I saw that notification come through about the snow squall, um, I was like, what the hell is a squall? So um, I love the the different things that we're experiencing. I think last year was a polar vortex and this year it's a squall. Climate, climate issues. Yeah, it's it's yeah, the yeah, the winters get progressively, progressively um, weirder and worse here. It seems I don't know if worse is the right word for it, but but just progressively weirder. Um, I've told this story before, but uh, I remember the summer of 2013, my senior year of high school was the coldest winter in 50 years. And it was like a big deal. Everyone talked about it. And then the next winter was colder than that, but no one talked about it. And then every year after that was just like, like the weather stopped making sense. And now we're here. We're like, we basically have the equivalent of flash floods, except with snow and blizzards uh, just blow through at random. It seems uh, there was like a 40 car pile up, up in Wausau because of the snow squall. Wow. On the highway, yeah. I would say this is weather-wise, it's been one of the better weather winters I've seen in my lifetime. Like, I look outside, I can see grass, which is you know amazing mm-hmm. for February. But that shows you kind of the disconnect between what people actually like are happy for, but also the reality of climate change because when I talk to people about the weather, they love it, right? Like, oh, we haven't had to deal with the snow that much, shoveling, all this other stuff. But that is really a sign that we're getting closer and closer to the extinction of human race, (laughs) you know? And that shows you that the education that we still have to do when it comes to climate, again, people don't understand that this is not something that should be celebrated, but actually a huge, not worry, but also a huge issue that we have to like step up and face. You know, this is this is uh this is serious, man. This is not something that we should celebrate, even though, you know, for us Wisconsinites, having like less than twenty inches of snow in the winter is seen as a victory. Yeah, I, it was definitely a conversation and a frustration that I had uh, over the last few years with people, uh, just kind of like just people gradually moving the goalposts like, Oh, Wisconsin's weather is really temporal anyways. So, you know, it's hard to predict sometimes. So that's not abnormal. And then once it's abnormal, it's, Oh, well, I like not having a shovel. That's okay. Uh, and you know, they just kind of keep moving the goalpost and they don't really want to talk about just like the real issue, which my personal opinion is that 
part of part of it is just uh, Wisconsinites. All of us are kind of privileged in in the uh, climate in, in 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 kind of the climate crisis because there's a lot of places that are facing dire and immediate uh, weather patterns and circumstances causing large you know mass displacement. Even of rich people take the wildfires out west, for example, you know, and uh, here patterns are changing uh and if you live in uh uh if your livelihood depends on certain aspects of the weather you know remaining wisconsin weather uh then you may be more aware of it but there's a lot of people who are just like oh this is just pleasant weather changing you know it's like that's not it you're we're really lucky to to have it not manifest in destructive yeah, stuff you know but it's which, also which it kind of does there's flooding you know the flooding is an issue the economic impact too a lot of people i know do the snow removal that's how they make money through the winter time and now they can't because of the lack of snow so yeah man we thank you thank you i, I uh, I bared my soul. I said I was feeling bad, and then we go right to the most, you know, dramatic thing <laughs> around uh, climate change, and us not even being here as a species in the next one or two hundred years. So, thank you for the the pick me up, y'all. Um, well, I don't think this next thing is gonna make you feel any better either. Um, but then, but you also said, um, you know, it was a tough time for the movement within the political sector, and. I know the last time we recorded, it was before the February primary. And so since then, we've had um, some wins and some losses, um, right? I know we have our, our two candidates for Milwaukee mayor, Chevy Johnson and Bob Donovan, yep. which is just, yeah. It's it it is that, <laughs> um, but on a happier note, here here we go with the with the let me lift you up and have a happier mood about this. Is our friend Juan Miguel made it through the primary, and I'm so freaking excited. Uh, in fact, Rafi, I can't wait to introduce you to Juan Miguel. I think that y'all would really like hit it off. Um, but yeah, um, Citizen Action endorsed candidate Juan Miguel Martinez running for Milwaukee County Board and District 12 here in the South Side, my district. So I got to vote for him. Um, came through the primary and we'll, and we'll move on to the April general election. And uh, he goes head to head with uh, Josh Zepnik, former state assemblyman. Um, and I'm just so excited, dude. Like he is, man, when I think about motivating and and working and with and exciting people to get into politics and and into um being a candidate and running for office like he's he's somebody that like he comes to mind right like and i talked about him before but just want to like give the recap um some of somebody who comes from a family of immigrants, you know, a family of workers. His mom was an entrepreneur, started a like a hair salon. His dad was a factory worker. Um and just working class, right? And like, I just think that f- folks in the working not class- Not just working class, Joanna, though. I'm sorry, but not just working class, but working class with the right ideology. Right. We got somebody, we got somebody that's about to run who, who just was a top vote getter when it came to the mayoral primary, who's from the working class, but might not have the right ideology, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to law and order, right? So 
I think it's really important that we not just celebrate the working class background, but the working class background match with the proper ideology when it comes to actually addressing the issues of working class people. So true. Um, Yeah, no, 100%. And I know you and I have talked about like, dude, how could, how does something like that happen, right? Like you come from this um, background of, of struggle, right? And then like, you lose something along the way that doesn't make you want to, you know, bring your community with you or bring your people with you or have this idea of like, well, I made it. Why can't you? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, how does something like that happen? And I just, you know, I can't stress how much. Yeah. Psychology, probably. I mean, like immediately I can imagine just kind of part of it is probably like an ego thing. And like, uh, not only did you have to kind of hold if you are in that position as a person, not only did you have to hold yourself up to get through socioeconomic struggles, but uh, now there's like this ego thing where you're comparing yourself to people who, who are still struggling. So in in a socioeconomic uh, sense, you know, and there's like a, Oh, well, I'm this sense that maybe, you know, like just what you said, well, if I made it, then why can't you? Once again, I've talked about it before, but the lack of lack of empathy, you know? I mean, all that plus, a lot of times in our life, we are given a choice between sometimes what might be good for me as the individual is not good for me, not good for the collective. Mm-hmm. And I think it really shows a character of a person when they say, you know what, I might take a hit here, but I'm going to do the right thing because it helps out the masses, right? And I think too many of our politicians today always, when faced with that type of choice, goes with what's good for the individual. I have no doubt law and order is good for somebody running for office right Mm -hmm. now in Milwaukee, right? That is the, individualistically, that is the thing that you would do if you were, if you your major concern was about getting yourself elected to higher office. Mm-hmm. But that's anybody who's watched the last 40 to 50 years of policies, especially when it in regards to law and order, has seen the devastating impact that they have had, whether it's the war on drugs or uh stop and frisk, the 90s crime bill, school to prison pipeline, all these things that show like a rise in police, a rise in law and order has terrible side effects, even if we all can agree on a diagnosis. The treatment has always been terrible and had terrible side effects. And for a lot of people who run for office, it's, it's just enough that if I say I can, I will make you safe and I would do it in the most punitive way, they know that will ring bells with a lot of people and that can get them a lot of votes and they can get them elected to higher office, be damned the consequences of how it's going to impact the collective. So... Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a shame that kind of what, you know, the question of what do I have to do to get elected and what do I have to do to serve the people, all the people uh, uh, in a particular city or locale, especially those who are in need. Those are increasingly two different questions in American electoral politics, and that's a shame. Yeah. Dude, the condition that, you know, what you said, Rafi, the individual basically versus the collective, right? Um, the conditioning that we are are put through to believe that we're supposed to worry about ourselves is, is wild though, right? Like, 
you know, at Citizen Action, we have this field team that's constantly making phone calls into different communities across the state, having conversations with Wisconsinites about like the issues that our communities are facing. And, um, you know, I just had a debrief with this team. I think it was like last week, Friday or something. And they're telling me about how many conversations they have with folks that are like, oh, well, I don't, you know, if say the issue is like, good schools or whatever, right? They're like, oh, I don't have that problem. My, my, you know, my kid goes to a good school. Like my kid's school has funding. You know, my kid has access to, um, you know, tutors and so on and stuff. And it's just so I, 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 right? And I was talking to this team about like, how can we spin this conversation? So it's like, oh, that's so wonderful that you have this experience, but like other people in our community don't, right? Like they can't say the same thing. And like, getting folks to care about our collective experience versus our, you know, individual experiences is, is, I think, becoming more and more of a challenge. And I think it does have a lot to do with, with the leadership we're seeing in elected office, right? Because they, they um, exhibit those qualities, right? Like they, they have that type of attitude, right? And so it, it makes the masses feel the same way. Yeah, there's also an aspect to it. Uh, there's also an aspect to it of people who are, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this, especially when it comes like um, people who live in the suburbs talking about inner city issues uh, or just city of Milwaukee issues in general. There's just this sense of like that people are one dimensional, you know, and that, and that you know, there's, there's good people and there's bad people. And no matter what your, you know, your experiences, your struggles are, whatever uh, uh, lack of funding or lack of resources or neglect that your entire neighborhood may have experienced, none of that matters. You know, uh, there's, you know, there's good people and there's bad people and it's okay to do whatever we want to the bad people. There's just kind of this prevailing kind of really almost like cartoonish or just one dimensional way of viewing other humans, you know, uh, which also bleeds into kind of what you were talking about, Joanna, of like, Hey, my school, my, my, my kids go to a school that has lots of resources. Uh, uh, if another area doesn't have those things and they're underperforming and it, it, it must be their fault, you know, that that's, that's one thought I have on that. It's always amazing how we dehumanize a group of people to advance some bullshit, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, I, and look, I see it happening in my own family. My mom, she watch, watches news all the time, all the time, all the time. If, if you leave it up to her, she would have you believe in, like, <laughs> if she leaves her house, she's likely to get shot. <laughs> like, she, that's how she, and, the, you know, the media does a great job of doing that. And, and, mm -hmm. and the people, her neighbors have become caricatures, not real bleeding human beings with their own triumphs and failures, but like that, that guy in the hood wants to do something to me. And she's getting up there, right. so that's probably part of it. And that's a part, like all, a lot of, I don't mean to like try to get dark, but it, honestly, a lot of genocide start that way, right? Which is this. First, you gotta dehumanize a, a group of people. Then you can go into for to do to do genocide, right? To commit genocide. 
And I've been watching this conversation in the last six months around law and order in our city and what is needed and what we need to do. And I haven't seen any type of humane idea of how we actually address crime, right? And then no. we just keep on falling back on the same old, same old BS. And at a certain point, we can blame the politicians, but you know, I think it's we gotta also blame ourselves at the collective level. Why do we keep on falling for the same things? Why do we have amnesia around this, right? Especially coming off of like 2020 when we were just in the streets talking about like, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and police brutality. How how do we end up here? Like, how do we like how do we end up here where we are about to probably vote either or either or the two? Oh, for somebody who has promised you more pain, more of your grandsons in jail, more of your sons in jail, more of your daughters in jail. How do we end up in the same situation? You know? Yeah. And I think you see shades of that and just how the, uh, the, uh, the uh, primary in Milwaukee for the mayor's race kind of turned out just the two candidates who made it like, I'm personally just kind of surprised that, you know, Bob Donovan, beat out some of the other candidates, honestly. Um, and I think that part of it is just a lack of lack of turnout and confidence in the system. You know, I think that if, if, uh, if more, if, if there is more confidence, more morale, uh, uh, around the actual, um, you know, that, that participating in local electoral politics can actually, um, positively influence your life then maybe we wouldn't have a old conservative man running who, who, who has said before that, you know, one of the best things that people can do in regards to Milwaukee is move away. Um, I don't know why you want to have a guy be mayor of a city who's telling people to move away. Uh, how we, how he makes it all the way through this primary, uh, through this primary race, you know, forgetting questions in the middle of, of the forum, you know, uh, that's just a lack of participation. And I think that that lack of participation is largely due, due to a lack of confidence in the system. Um, and a lot of people who are choosing between, you know, their immediate needs and their immediate survival or what they need right now. And they're choosing between that and aspire to try to influence the system that hasn't yet served you, you know, uh, it, it's an interesting conversation and like you, you know, in, in terms of shades of, of, of these kinds of things kind of playing out, um, you know, you also kind of, you also kind of see it just a couple things going on around the country right now there, you know, the, uh, the, uh, uh there's been about the one year anniversary from the Ahmaud Arbery, um, killing in Georgia where three white men kind of said, Hey, this, this guy, I think he's stealing. And, you know, he, we don't think he belongs here. So they, so they chased him down in a pickup truck and shot him. Uh, they've been convicted of, uh, of, of that killing. And they recently were just, uh, char uh, charges of hate crime, you know, hate crime charges just that went through against them as well. Cause they found these racist, uh, these racist, uh, text messages that they had been saying them, saying themselves, you know, between each other prior to the, you know, in the days prior to the shooting, you know, talking about just frankly how much they disliked black people referring to them as the N word with the ER ending. And, um, 
and uh, how they don't like their daughters dating black people and just all these kinds of conversations, which I think as black and brown people, we've also heard come out of the lips of some of our neighbors up here in Wisconsin, you know, speaking of Wisconsin, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is also uh, announced that he is going to sue Whoopi Goldberg. Who, Can I say something? Can I yeah. Say something? Yeah. Fuck Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> okay, then we can proceed. There we go. Ralphie has spoken. Got uh, you, man. Can't bring up his name without that, you know, prefix attached, you know. You know, and, and you know, there is an aspect of it. See, he's he's suing Whoopi, but he's also putting anyone who ever said anything about him, negative about him on on notice, even media organizations, which is a little concerning. And not only is it a really Trumpian thing to do, but it it's just interesting on so many levels. Not only is it a very Trumpian thing to do, but it also comes in a time when basically that's that's a kind of censorship. Uh, it, it's interesting that one of his first targets was Whoopi Goldberg, a prominent black woman. And, you know, meanwhile, while they're trying to push that kind of censorship, uh, they are, uh, uh, you know, the Republican Party is pushing, you know, critical, you know, banning quote unquote critical race theory, which is really just teaching history, teaching, teaching America history, however difficult, uh, which is something that actually was addressed in the State of the Tribes uh, address yesterday for uh wisconsin on the state on the state floor you know addressing native american history and genocide isaiah real quick you think um you think you're gonna get sued by kyle rittenhouse have you written anything that i mean we've written things no i mean like we've 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 written things at the examiner about kyle rittenhouse you know they we've uh, there have been a couple op-eds that have come through uh not through examiner direct examiner staff, you know, uh, regarding Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, like informed legal opinions and stuff, especially around gun laws and self-defense and things like that. But I don't think so. But at the same time, who knows, you know, who, who, who knows, you know, who knows? And like, I, I think that's part of, part of his strategy is to kind of put everyone on this chilling effect, you know, uh, and now anyone could just be sued for uh, expressing how they felt about a teenager who killed two who, who killed two people with an illegally possessed firearm, and then was acquitted of all charges off of it. You know, um, it's it's highly interesting, but it also follows a pattern. Um, uh, you know, George Zimmerman at, uh, to this day. You know, uh, we're coming up on the ten year anniversary of the Trayvon Martin killing. And where George Zimmerman wasn't a cop, he was just a neighborhood watchman who said, I don't think this kid belongs here. The dispatch told him to stay in his house. He didn't do it. He went outside and he wrestled Trayvon to the ground and shot him because he felt like he didn't belong. Uh, And he was acquitted off of that. Um, And he has since then pursued Trayvon's family, tried to sue them to this day. So Rittenhouse is kind of falling in the same pattern, you know, of you know, the parallels are really stark there. How are we losing this issue? Hmm? Like the issue of like these blatant well, if I go murders. Knock on door, if I go knock on a door, right? If I go knock on a door and I talk to people who just two years ago were in the streets talking about we're anti-police brutality, George Floyd, right? Knock on a door, these same people would be like, 
200, shit, we need 300, 400 cops on the streets, right? Like, how, how are we, like, constantly, because I feel like, and this is one of the frustrations I'm having, is, like, we can have these people like Kyle Rittenhouse, you have the George Zimmermans, we can have all these folks, and, you know, and we would think this is the moment where we all just see how messed up the system is. We we just basically watch the police. We just saw it again with Kim Potter. Is it is Potter mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, she gave a bunch of uh, tears, and she shot. She shot. I forget the young man name. Also, I feel I'm so sorry, but she killed Devante the young man. Wright. Yeah, Devante Wright mm-hmm. says she was going for her taser, but uh, confused it. Her uh, her taser with her gun shot the young man. She throw on a waterworks. She gets basically. 16 months, I think it's 16 months in jail and eight months of uh, supervision. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Human life just taken with nothing, with no, with no real punishment, no real justice. And the family got to live with that. And yet we had knock on doors and we talk to people and they were like, I want more police. And it feels like we're constantly losing this argument, even though it's tons of evidence to point to like... It, those 200 cops are not going to be in like on 50th and High Mile. They're not going to be in that Washington area where the, the, the former mayor live, right? Like they're going to be in our community, whooping our kids' ass, locking them up, destroying their lives. But the biggest people who go advocate for us come from within the community. So I, I guess my question is like, how are we losing this? What is it as a movement we can begin to start doing to like actually and I, and I know it's simple, like organized, but like what tangibly can we start doing to, I know from you as a journalist, it might diff, be different from you, Isaiah, but like what can we do as a movement to actually start winning this argument and not let people fall back into this amnesia that happens constantly where we constantly having the same conversations all the time around how do we address crime, you know? Just really frustrating um, that we keep on ending up here. Mm. You know, it's not an immediate, you know, it's not a direct answer to the question of what what do you do as a movement? Um, But just a couple of things that I have noticed about these issues in general, whether you're talking about police, curfews, militarization, environmental contamination, the opioid crisis or COVID, people don't seem to if people are not if people are are in a are in a so are are in a position in society where they are not systemically affected or vulnerable to these issues. They will not care until it comes to their doorstep. That's what happened with the opioid crisis. You know, it wasn't no one cared until, you know, kids who, until people, uh, until the crisis itself basically began to violate people's uh, assumptions and prejudices, you know, about other people, you know, oh, well, my neighbor down the street who was a hardworking guy and whatnot and white picket fence, he just died in a, of an overdose. So now it must be a problem or his kid died from it. So now it must be a problem. I never expected it from from them. So now it must be a problem. Uh, I saw it personally firsthand during the Wauwatosa curfew in October 2020 after uh, I had been tear gassed and found some other photographers to hide in someone's yard uh, to wait for the cops to go past because they were arresting everyone. And um, and uh, and, uh, you know, once we kind of came out of hiding, uh this lady comes to walking down the street in her basically, you know, her pajamas kind of thing, like a pajama robe and kind of thing. 
And one of her neighbors recognized her and, and asked her, you know, what's wrong or are you okay? And she's like, no, they took my son. And, it, and she's, and the neighbor said, was your son part of the protest? And they said, no, uh, she, he was actually outside cheering the cops on. We completely loved everything Tosa P was doing all summer, but they took my son and I don't know why they did that. And they hurt him when he did it. And uh, now all of a sudden I see that there's a problem. You know, she was having this mass revelation because the issue immediately affected her. She didn't even care when it was around her, just when hands were put on someone she cared about. Now it's a problem. Now she's flipped her whole opinion. So it, that's that's one big part of it. And I keep saying empathy, but, but people. What's the odds of that actually happening to their sons? Exactly. <laughs> it's not going to happen to their sons, right? Like Exactly. It doesn't happen, yeah. it doesn't happen to their sons, right? It happened to our sons, our daughters, and it's going to continue to happen, right? It's, it's kind of almost similar to the drug epidemic and drug over, you know, when, yeah. when it was black folks dealing with a crack, right? It was no empathy. It was just lock lock them up throw them in jail you know give them 20 years for being caught with small amount of marijuana like it was no empathy but it, you're right when when these uh young white kids start dying in the suburbs from heroin and over now we have a more humane outlook and embrace of of people who are dealing with addiction and i think that's the right way we should go i'm not saying it it's wrong but it seems like that empathy only comes with a certain hue a certain skin color while our community still suffer and deal with the the hammer, you know, mm -hmm. and, and go ahead, Isaiah. I was just going to say too that part of it too is that we have historically not done, you know, in in terms of facing history and acknowledging history, we don't do a good job of of educating generations after generation of people, especially when they live in these kind of protected socioeconomic castes uh, of what act, of what history is, uh, not not just the macro history, but local history. You know, we were talking about the uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the state of tribes earlier and uh, how one topic of that was like, look, Native American history in America is really, really ugly and difficult, and it's filled with genocide and colonization and human trafficking and all these things, but it needs to be taught. Otherwise, you know, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Locally, you kind of see it in a place like Wauwatosa, where Wauwatosa as a city literally was a place established, built, and thrived off of segregation, redlining, and white supremacy. Their police department had blackface parties that included residents too. Like it, it, it wasn't just the police department thing. It was in the fire department. Na neighbors would come. And a lot of those guys, they didn't get fired. They got promoted. And then they trained the next generation of TOSA officers and the problems continued. So when people are completely unaware of stuff like that, and they're not the ones being pulled aside and set and, and told, hey, you don't belong here because of the way you look. So we're going to search you and everything. They exist in this vacuum, you know. So then when you tell them that there's an issue, unless they're having hands put on them right then, it's not real to them. Maybe part of it is just making making the issues real to these people. I'm not sure, you know. Hmm. I don't know. You know uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think it kind of grants them uh, of the privilege of ignorance. You know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. if they, I don't know if they ignorant. I think they know. It just ain't they son. 
they know it's not going to be their son. And that's just like if we want to center white folks. And I don't even want to center white folks in this conversation. I think the people that's going to pour out and vote for Chevy Johnson on the 5th of April, a lot of people are going to do it from the inner city of Milwaukee, knowing that's just the beginning. You could say we can all play the he's better than Donovan. I get it. He much, yeah, he is. He's no doubt he's better than Donovan. That's just such a low bar, though. <laughs> like just mm-hmm. such a low bar. And I just so tired of us getting like stuck in this choice of a lesser or two evils. And we find ourselves voting for the lesser of two evils. Then we come with this whole idea that once this person is in office, then we're gonna pull them. Then we got then we got them. We're gonna just and that never happens. Actually, they pull us to the right, you know. Post Obama, you find yourself, you see black folks arguing for shit you would never see black folks arguing for. You know, defending occupation of Afghanistan, for example, right? You will see black folks doing it. Obama put black people to the right. You know, I'm, as I get an older, I, I realize the saying, you don't change institutions, institutions change you. It's real, real as hell, you know? And yeah, I, I, <sighs> the work has to be done at the grassroots level, it has to be done at the organizing level, it has to be at the door to door level. But how do we keep it? constant because this is only two years i mean george floyd uprising was less than two years ago we already are falling over ourselves to elect another law and order mayor because they promised us safety you know i think yeah and i think just as wisconsin goes i think that the question also has to be asked you know once again in georgia we were uh you know two you know three men who hunt to ran down and killed someone they were uh they were convicted and now they're and now they're facing hate crime charges too the first ever in georgia as shallow as the sentence was kim kim potter is going to serve some time in minnesota um you're seeing more stories pop up of cops getting charged with things um periodically kim Kim potter yet Kim Potter is going to do less time in jail than most black kids do if they get caught with a pound of marijuana. Exactly. She killed, she killed a person. Exactly. She took life. But my point is that, like, how, you know, one, one question to ask, too, is how come even when they're small things like that or very, very questionable sentences, why are they occurring there and not here in Wisconsin? How come even as small as those things are, they're occurring over the border, but not here? How come here we get, you know, defendants reaching into raffles to pick their jurors? You know, uh, that that's 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 a valid question, you know. And I don't know if that's a political question or a, or or a socio psychology uh, kind of question of just how people have just basically allowed their minds to evolve here. I, I in in the state of Wisconsin, I'm not sure, but it's a valid question at this point. Why they are not here? Look, I mean, it's tough watching people fight over crumbs, right? In Wisconsin, economically, whether you're poor, white, poor, black, it's bad for you out here across the state. And when people start fighting over crumbs, people want us. <laughs> find a way to say, I deserve more crumbs than you do because of this, this, and that, right? So we all know Wisconsin has been under economic depression for 
least the last 40 to 50 years. And that has put pressure on an already racist uh, state. It made it worse. It's made it definitely worse. And people in times like these cling, cling to ideas of they're trying to come take our jobs. They're, you know, they don't deserve any handout. They out here killing one another, all the things, because that then justifies why they deserve, you know, the handouts. The hand, I hate you putting it away, but why they deserve the crimes. So I just think we're under a pressure cooker, to be honest. You know, Wisconsin is getting worse and worse and worse when it comes to economics for working class people. We lost our industry. We allowed deindustrialization to happen. We allowed jobs to be shift overseas to cheaper labor. We didn't protect it for the working class people here. We replaced it with service industry jobs that pays people $7.25. And this is whether you're in a black, brown, or white community across the state. And this is what happens. This is, this is, we shouldn't be surprised at what, what we're seeing, you know, uh, until we address that, begin to address that, relieve some of that, that pressure. We can't even really have a real dialogue because people really, some people really think it's about survival and, you know, protecting what is theirs in quotes, you know, so this is what, this is how, this is what it looks like when you watch people fight over crimes. Yeah. I mean, just 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 that phrase fighting over crumbs that just reminds me of just and I know we've been talking about law enforcement quite a bit, but like that just reminds me of the uh, just the just the conversation around how much of the city budget in Milwaukee and a lot of other municipalities in Wisconsin police and law enforcement, just law enforcement actually take up, you know, it's like your fight, you know, you got people fighting. There's a five dollar bill in the middle of the table. And you got people fighting, you got people around the table fighting over that. And they're being forced to fight over that because no one is allowing them to turn that $5 into $10 and 15, you know, uh, it, you know, and at the end of the, the, the battle police and law enforcement, they have most of that $5. They got like three, you know, two fifty or $3 of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still not enough for them. You know, it's still not enough to, for them to do what they feel that they need to do so in that sense it almost feels designed in a way you know i mean or exploited just a ball that's been rolling for a long time and there's people people exploiting it you know i mean like the speaker speaker robin voss he owns a popcorn factory that uses incarcerated labor then he goes back to the assembly and he advocates for, hey, let's turn misdemeanors into felonies. You, you know, you, you know what so he's it, doing it. So he's doing it to make sure that he has cheap labor to ensure that he is making the money that he wants to provide for his family. I can't say that that's like him going to bed, plotting that and, 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 and agreeing with that with himself. But that's how it appears that, that that's the byproduct of it, right? That's, that's the byproduct right. of it. That's the effect of it. You know, just like how, um, you know, another effect too is, you know, when you have a state, you know, when we talk about a lot of the, the enduring racial tensions in Wisconsin, you have a state where they've managed to confine basically most of the vast majority of the black population in a single city. And then they segregated that city to make sure you were only in certain areas, you know, and then they, and then through economic and uh, public safety uh, 
uh, decisions, even loosening gun laws, for example, you know, now we wonder how come there's so much gun crime, you know, uh, uh, through doing that, they, they kind of engineer a situation where your three choices are, uh, you can be, you know, you're probably, you know, you can get incarcerated. You can become one of, one of, one of the people, one out of every 36 black residents is sitting in a state prison right now. You can, you, you can take that route. You can, um, which once you get released from that system, let's say you get a felony, you can't vote, you, you know, your rights are limited, et cetera. Uh, you can sit there and not kind of like wait, just kind of wait for your turn and in that time become ever more demoralized or you can move away, you know, and all three of those things, what don't you do? You don't vote, you know? So it, it just becomes this, this engine, this racket. Yeah. You know, I mean, whether it's intentional, whether it's not intentional, it's it, like, if you, if you pick chicken, broth, carrots, celery, and noodles into a pot, cover it up, and then you come back 20 minutes later and you surprise you got soup, <laughs> you a fool, right? Like, mm. this is all the ingredients that's been put out there to cause, is to see what we, the rising crime, it's out there. You know, we have we have spent the last 40 years choosing corporations over people. This is a ch- conscious choice we have made. Instead of addressing drugs in a in a humane way, we chose to be punitive and lock people up. This is a choice we made that helped destroy families, right? Mm-hmm. Right. These are things that we are making conscious choices about, and then we act surprised on the back end about the results. You know. And we should. This is what happens. How how can you go from paying people thirty dollars an hour at a factory with a pension and a union, and then replace that with McDonald's paying you five dollars, seven dollars an hour, and think you know you're not gonna get any type of rise in crime or like how who 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 realistically thinks like that? You know? I, I've met people who do think that way because there are people once again who they're drawing from their own experience, which even though they may have had their own personal struggles or uh, whether they're financial or emotional or, uh, or whatever, and they may have been significant struggles, they also aren't the targets of systemic, of systemic inequality and injustice. So they look at people who, who are faced with that $5 an hour job and they say, just be a good person. And that if you choose to not be a good person, then you're a bad person. You know, and we can do whatever we want to bad people. We can lock them up. We can kill them. We can keep them in, in crappy neighborhoods because that's what they deserve. They're all bad people. I've, you know, it, it, people have a very, once again, little kiddish, one dimensional way of looking at, of viewing the so, uh, of, of viewing, of viewing other people, basically, of viewing mm-hmm. other people who, live in systemically segregated and neglected situations. Yeah, that's real, right? We do all become caricatures in one another, right? Media mm. helps with that, right? Media helps distance, with that. In distance do too. But like, you know, it's a I forget where it comes from now, but the wages of whiteness, right? The benefits of being white, well, you know, when people talk about white privilege, what does it really mean white kids and black kids do drugs at the same rate 
Mm-hmm. I think even white kids do it at a lesser rate. I mean, a higher rate than black kids. Mm-hmm. But one of the privileges of being white is your community is not overly policed. So your son is not being stopped, thrown on, uh, thrown on the hood, patted down. Just for being there. Yeah, just right. for being there. And his just little, for cruising. Little, yeah, just for cruising. And his little 3-5 that he have on him, that's not bothering anybody. Now you're giving him a ticket or you're locking him up about it. And then when next time you go try to get a job, it's even harder for you because you got to report that. Right. That's one of the benefits of being white in America amongst many. Right. Because you can get because let me make no uh, doubt about it. I have no doubts about it. White people, white poor people are getting their ass with by our current economy. There's no doubt. No doubt about it. But they also are buttressed or undergirded by having the privilege of whiteness. All the things that comes with the suburbs, right? Be able to have your own almost sovereignty and self-determination, being a majority, being the the default, not being when people think of crime, the face of it, right? That helps, right? And that until we actually really change America, that's not. That's that's a structural systemic thing that we have to get at. And if it takes if 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 it's going to take white folks to wake up. Or just I don't want to sit on white people, you know, because we do that way too much. But if it's going to just take for us to wake up by everybody getting the benefit of that or or that's not going to happen. You know, it's too much. It's too much that is built upon our current system and keeping a certain group of people at the bottom. So they can have a foundation for everybody else. And I, I just think it's time for our community not to be our own worst enemy. Going back to what we talked about earlier with black black folks voting for uh, someone who is promising law and order, giving you the same treatment that didn't work for the last 40 years. We have to do better. We have to look beyond and really offer new alternatives to uh this law and order piece because we're going to lose another generation. I'm only 36 and I've already watched three generations lost to either hopelessness around economics or the, or the jail cell. And it, it's heartbreaking to think we got to do it again and we're going to sign off on it too, you know. Mm. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a couple of thoughts that I, that I, uh, that I have too, you know, it, it, it's, you know, another part of it too is, and we talked about this already, but part of it too is, you know, acknowledging not only is there a deficit in, 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 in kind of the uh, experience between peoples, but once again, there's, there, there's a major deficit in understanding, you know, history and, and being honest with history and, and being able to kind of see accurately, this is how we got here. All right. You know, and when you are uh, ignorant of history, then you may not understand uh, some of the some of the why something is is a problem. You know why why something is wrong. Take the protester list for example. You know black people have the context of COINTELPRO. You know and, and there's the COINTELPRO that you're taught in kind of school. Yeah, you know like they they washed people and they had informants everywhere. And then there's the COINTELPRO that actually happened where they were actually putting people in danger solely be, and, and, and maybe even orchestrating individuals to get hurt or at least allowing it to happen for political control and for no other reason, you know, uh, for, uh, uh, 
we, you know, my great grandmother was a Black Panther who was targeted by 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 COINTELPRO. We have that context, you know, and and, and so when we, so when lists pop up and stuff, we know why that's wrong. But there's a lot of people who don't have that historical context, were never taught any of that at all, and they're like, "What's the big deal?" You know, uh, acknowledging history and and kind of seeing that clear timeline. Um, is extremely important um and yeah there's just a huge deficit in 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 understanding yeah yeah i think i said it on our first episode or one of our first episodes organize 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 join an institution you know get out there talk to your neighbors begin to break down some of these walls and then the walls you can't break down um you climb over them you know mm. and destroy them you know, um, because I've been through this cycle at least three or four times in my lifetime. I'm only 36, and I don't want to go through it another <laughs> three or four times in my lifetime. So, organize, organize, organize. Well, thanks y'all for that very important discussion. I think y'all brought a lot of great, y'all just brought a, a lot of great stuff to this topic, and um, appreciate y'all for leading and and talking the way you did so candidly and. Yeah, what Rafi said. Organize, y'all. See you next time. What up?